Hey, welcome to the Restoration Podcast. I'm Dan Sams. And I'm Kevin Haroff. And uh, man, we're we're just kind of easing into this today. Our uh, our coffee is just now kicking in. I'm, yeah. I'm just now feeling it's, uh, like... second cup, finally the caffeine <laughs> started right. to hit me. I'm just now feeling the joy that God means for my experience <laughs> all the time. Yeah, the glory of the morning. <laughs> it's true. I am, I'm liking it, man. It's uh, it's good. So, how you been, man? Anything good been happening? Um, yeah, I'm just gearing up for finals in school next week, so I've just been doing a lot of studying, um, yeah. a lot of homework and stuff. I know that um, feeling. But yeah, besides that, um, still been able to catch a few movies in the theaters. Nice. Um, yeah. Anything just, good? Uh, nothing too good yet. I'm excited for some movies that are coming out soon, um, more so than the ones that are out right now. Um, but I saw Horrible Bosses 2. Yeah. Um, which was, was pretty funny, um, I wasn't a huge fan of the first one, so I didn't have huge expectations for this, but um, yeah, some good laughs in it. And I think the it's like a uh, three guys, um, the guy from uh, uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Charlie Day, oh, yeah. um, and then the guy from Rest Development, um, Michael, oh, yeah. and nice. um, I'm drawing a blank on the third guy right now, but I... The, the chemistry those guys have, um, I thought was a lot better than the like the Hangover. Uh, oh yeah, trio. That's cool, man. So yeah, it was good actually decently funny movie. Nice. I enjoy a good funny movie. I actually watched. Um, I'm way behind. Like it's going to be the theme of our podcast of how. I mean, we're going to talk about restoration and God's work, and then we're going to talk about how far behind I am on movies. <laughs> but um, I finally saw the movie. Finally, it's probably not even the right word. I saw the movie Tucker and Dale versus Evil, and uh, yeah, I haven't even heard of that movie. Oh my so. goodness, it was on Netflix, and uh, I'd actually skipped over it many times because I thought, I don't know if this is going to be appropriate or whatever. And um, a guy in my church was like, "It's one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long time," and so I watched it on an afternoon, and I was laughing out loud. Like it's one of those that like it's it's kind of a dark comedy. It's you know, <laughs> people are dying in funny ways. And uh, great misunderstanding, all oh, these backwoods rednecks that think these college kids are trying to kill them, and college kids think the rednecks are trying to kill them, and it's just wonderful. It's, it's great. Was the qual- like budget good on that? Um, like, you know, not bad. Was? Like, it, I mean, it, was, it wasn't bad. Like, it, it, wasn't just so, it wasn't just so campy and, and bad. I, I thought it was all right. Um, there's some character actors that you've seen in other stuff, and mm-hmm. so, like, you know, um, yeah, I thought... I thought it was all right. It wasn't like high budget by any means, but it wasn't just crappy. Um, yeah, it was fun. There's just yeah, I'm I'm realizing. I have that, to check it out. Yeah, I there's just great scenes of you know the police show up and they're holding half of a person who, who accidentally fell in their wood chipper, <laughs> <laughs> and the police officer is like, "Hey, um, what's going on, guys?" <laughs> and he says something to the effect of like, "Well." Um, all these people are just dying around <laughs> us. And he's like, you, you would have to think I'm an idiot to believe that. And they're like, no, really. They're like, there's a girl inside, and she can explain it all, except I hit her on the head with a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> it was an accident. <laughs> um, it's just great. Um, it's it's classic. It's They take the classic horror movie, and they, they make a spoof. And what year was it made? I don't know. It was, you know, mid Probably late 2000s. Late like 2000s. I, I think it, it wasn't that long ago. Well, I don't know how that movie passed me up. It sounds hilarious. Yeah, it sounds it was, like a Shaun of the Dead type. It did. Humor. It had that vibe. It was. In fact, there were elements of it that even the cover looks like a zombie movie, and uh, not zombie at all. But oh my goodness, it was funny. 
So, saw that. Um, been watching a lot of trailers. My wife and I went and saw um, the new Hunger Games movie. And that was interesting. It was, you know, not everybody likes the movies, but I'm entertained every time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was fun. My, uh, we actually got into, into those movies in a weird way. My, wife, my wife's a counselor, and so she was counseling these, these teens and preteens that were reading the books. And uh, she's like, man, I'm hearing enough about this that I think I need to know. And so she read the books and just, she says, this is great. I love it. Got all hooked. And then so we went and saw the movies and it's actually like got us back into movies again because we hadn't, we hadn't gone to the theater in Does she have a preference years. of the, the book over the movie or um, I think I think like everybody um, on those kind of things, I think she prefers book over movie, but not yeah. so much that she's like, oh, they messed this up. You know, she, yeah. was, she kind of feels like they've done pretty well with them and yeah. It's cool. I um, I tell you what though, Woody Harrelson is in this, you know, mm-hmm. and he plays this guy who's won the Hunger Games years before, and now he's a part of this revolution, and he's a recovering alcoholic, and and he's just trying to stay sober, and so he's kind of this curmudgeon. Isn't he drinking in the first? The first first three movies or two movies, however many have been out, he's just drunk the whole time, yeah. and he's hilarious as a drunk. Well, now he's sober, and he also has great ideas, but he's he's not as funny. Um, but I remember in this movie, I'm like, I'm watching him and I'm like, you know what? I really wish he was just turned, they just turned him into Tallahassee from, uh, from Zombieland. Cause every time now I see Woody Harrelson in a movie, I'm like, can you just be Tallahassee? Like, that's all I want to see. So I don't know if you've seen Zombieland in the, yeah, I have. the, yeah. the, so he's just such a great character in there that I'm like, I just want him to be that in every movie now. <laughs> so I, I'm just, I'm curious if, um, the, the, the drunkenness and the, the sober aspect of that his character is just like in the movie um, or if that was actually in the books because um, also the fact of Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, passing away due to his drug addiction yeah if that was something that was that, added in that's it's interesting I am um, I don't know my you know my wife would know I should probably ask her because that is interesting that like well this is a little bit too touchy now yeah um, yeah that's really interesting and it was interesting to see Philip Seymour Hoffman in there and and, you know, we were questioning, like, I wonder how much filming they had done for the next movie and what's going to happen. Yeah, if he's going to be in it or... Um, yeah, we've, man, we've lost some some really great actors and it's... Yeah, it's been tragic. Yeah, and, and drug use was connected, at least, in, in both of them. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm assuming you're talking about the Rob Williams, yeah. the other one, yeah. I, which, um, I'm not sure if, if it's uh, known that drug use was... Um, yeah, they, they kind of suspect that there was some. There was no um, drugs or alcohol found in his, in oh, his really? autopsy. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, man, that's I shouldn't assume that. I'd, I'd heard so much about it. That's, yeah, because I, I mean, everybody knows that he did struggle with uh, alcoholism, and he was he was sober for I forget like a really long time, um, and then around the time when he was filming um, that movie Insomnia in Alaska, yeah, he relapsed, and I think that was like early two thousands. Oh yeah. Um, and then he got clean after that, and had been sober since. But right before his death, he entered into rehab to kind of like he said for to prolong his uh, sobriety. Wow. Um, and then shortly after, he he died Man. of a suicide. Um, but nobody's really sure if he had relapsed or. Th- That's really interesting. Yeah. There's also yeah. reports out that he had um, just found out he had some either some sort of cancer or signs yeah. of dementia or like some some sort of. Um, disease where that he could have. Yeah. Wow, that's it's so sad though. I think, um, man, I don't want to turn the topic to seriousness too quick, but I um, yeah, I 
I've hung out, connected with so many people who've struggled with um, depression and, and emotional health and drug use and alcohol use. And man, it's, it gets weary when you, and especially when you see somebody like that, you're like, man, it's a huge bummer when, bummer is too cheap of a word, but when we lose somebody like that and you're like, oh man, like years of laboring and then that happened and it's just, it's sad, man. Yeah, and, uh, it's sad. And, I yeah. mean, it shows you how how powerful that disease is and how powerful is. sin is in this world. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's scary for me, too, because I'm somebody who's in uh, recovery, and I have a little over um, a year, like a year and a half of sobriety. Congratulations on that, man. Thanks. Um, and just, you know, seeing people like Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was sober for over 20 years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... Out of nowhere. Just gets blindsided by it. Yeah, it's scary, man. I am... Um, yeah, I've been having some interesting conversations. I was actually um, I'm hanging out in Starbucks because that's like my office, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm in there, actually the last couple of days, I've been in there for multiple, like hours on end, trying to catch up on some work, and which I love. Like, it's a wonderful thing. Now I'm, I'm connected enough, they all know me, so that when, um, when somebody like, somebody left and had paid for their coffee and then left and didn't pick it up, and so they bring me that, so I'm caffeinating up probably <laughs> way too much. But um, I'm working in there, and I, I overhear this guy pray with somebody over the phone. And uh, I'm like, man, it sounded enough like, you know, there are, there are prayers that are all fluffy, and you're like, oh, okay, thanks for being a Christian about it. <laughs> and then there's, like, this guy's praying, and he's, like, laboring in prayer. And I'm like, man, this guy sounds legitimate. Yeah. And so after he got off the phone, I just walked by. I was like, hey, dude, heard you praying. I'm a pastor. You know, hi. <laughs> and uh, we just start, start up this conversation. He's he's talking about how he's involved in some recovery ministry. And, and he's uh, is clean from heroin for like eight years. And mm-hmm. he's talking about like miraculous work that God did. And um, I'll tell you what, because there are days where I get so tired. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I was talking to somebody today about um, drug use struggles and, and emotional struggles and and it gets so tiring, and you're just like, oh my goodness, we labor so much. And then to hear a story like that is really nice. It's like, all right, man. Like, And he's like, dude, God did a miracle. Like, yeah. That's just what happened. He's like, not that there wasn't hard work and all that. He's like, but man, God clearly did a miracle, and there was healing. And man, that, that, remi- that just feels so good, because every time everything feels so impossible, and then to come across somebody that's like, you know what, but, oh, it sounds really corny Christian of me, but that, I mean, the quote of with God, all things are possible really starts to yeah. mean and something. It, I mean, and it really you know? is. I mean, sobriety for anybody is, is a miracle Yeah, that, you know, you're not using your drug of choice or, you know, drinking. Um, and I, th- I think, you know, in, in the, the secular, secular route, which, you know, there, re- there really isn't like, you know, there is no, there's no medical answer for being an alcoholic. There's no pill yeah. you can take. Yeah. Um, the, the thing they suggest is, uh, you know, after some sort of detox or whatever, that you go to AA. And mm-hmm. essentially what AA is doing is having people surrender to a higher power. Um, and, you know, that works for the people that are able to understand the fear of God. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and it's, it's a miracle that yeah. any sort of length of sobriety is possible for alcoholics. Yeah. It's pretty wild. I love talking to some of these long-term guys. I have, a, I have a friend who's a recovering alcoholic, and he's been clean for something like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's um, – I want to be careful because I don't want to just 
let put enough information out for people to figure out somebody. But <laughs> his address is no, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it's just interesting because he's he's one of those guys that he's just not not the kind of guy that would you would think of to normally talk about feelings. He's a big tough guy, and it'll be really interesting because he'll he'll just get right at you, and he's so gentle, so kind. And he'll be like, "Hey, I think God told me to pray for you about this, so I did." <laughs> right <laughs> and the same thing when like when somebody's you know being unwise with with something in their life and it's usually addictive related because he he's kind of attracted to minister to those people and and to hear him he'll just speak right into him and you're like hey you need to talk about your feelings about this because you're you're burying that down and he gets it's he's remarkably emotionally healthy and it's just really interesting that's it awesome. comes out of something but that's that's another it's it's a um it's a reflection of god's healing in his life and his surrender, because it's out yeah. of Yeah, to, to take something that was probably so, you know, sheltered emotionally prior to, you know, his experience of, you know, getting sober yeah. and, and finding God, and then now, you know, look at the change that's happened. Yeah, it's cool. And so especially when you find somebody that's just long-term um, and healing like that, the, their care for, for another person who's early in, in the recovery process is just a special thing to see. Um, they don't take any crap. <clears throat> There's no BS. They'll call things out, and they just have there's such discernment and such wisdom, and um, it's awesome. Um, I think I think that there's probably some spiritual gifts at play in that. Oh, most um, definitely. I, I really do because even even some things in in my in my own life where I'm thinking of some people like that that they they're just sensitive to the spirit. Um, like I'm thinking of this uh, one guy in particular, similar, just called me up and had lunch and just said, hey. Such and such a day, I woke up thinking about you, and I've been praying for you ever since. God hasn't been able to, hasn't let go of you in my heart. And, uh, and it was interesting because I was going through heavy stuff, and, and he was just sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and was praying. Um, it was awesome. Um, love stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and as far as we're talking about, is like uh, people with long-term sobriety being just like, you know, no BS and just yeah. completely just open, and like open books and stuff, like, you know, being at like certain like AA meetings and like whenever somebody like with um, short term sobriety like shares um, their story and they tend to go off on something that they you know probably shouldn't either glorifying you know past yeah. past uh, their past life or you know going and kind of glorifying their own ego and their own you know resolve and you know what they think is their own strength and being able to get sober and then when it's time to you know comment on the share the old timers are the first ones to raise their hands and point that out and there, there's no other place where that's going to happen yeah. where you're going to call somebody out on something like that and then you know feel the love in that room and yeah. nobody like nobody's getting angry about that like yeah it's awesome yeah so i'm actually man i think i would love to talk a little bit about transferring that that kind of mentality back over to the church because um i mean a lot of that comes out of out of biblical practices of like confessing your sins one to another and like a lot of the AA principles are are out of yeah biblical and they originally are yeah by the, the Oxford really, group um, yeah and the um, book of James was one of the original texts for people that's interesting sober. I actually didn't know that that's, yeah um, that's awesome so it's interesting to me though I um how many times I'm talking to somebody who is um you know they're they're closet drug user um or you know they're involved in some type of unhealthy and addictive behavior and and it's uh, which is another side note and it's not really time to talk about it right now but I'm, I'm it's amazing to me how many behaviors um, 
become addictive and how many of them, when, when sin is kind of fully manifesting, it's in this addictive state, even when it's not a substance. And anyway, yeah. that's, a whole, that's a whole other conversation, but how many times the reason that people, people will come to me as, as a pastor and, and they'll do the whole, like, I don't want to tell anybody, I don't want anybody to know, not my spouse, not my friends, but here's what's going on. And they, they don't want to allow the light of God fully to shine on it because they're they're afraid of keeping up appearances. Yeah, and, and, and the power well, that, you know, comes yeah. in shining the light on that, you know, not just with an, one other individual, but with many individuals, yeah. is, you know, is that's why AA is so powerful, and that's why AA has been able yeah. to work. Yeah. And, you know, seeing something like that in the church would be awesome. Oh, man. But, you know, unfortunately, there, I think a lot of the times churches and people who go to churches get caught up in the idea that they're supposed to represent you know, how it looks to follow Jesus. And yeah. if and if they're not representing that, then they're doing something wrong and they don't really have a close relationship with God, which yeah. is far from, you know, what yeah. you're supposed to it's, be. It's interesting because I would say, yeah, we should represent what it looks to follow Jesus, but that doesn't look like perfection um, immediately. Like Yeah, and also like, that's, that's kind of um, disregarding the gift of what Christ did on the cross. Yeah. You know, he knows that we're going to mess up. He knows that we're living in sin. But he loves yeah. us regardless. Yeah, that's uh, one of the one of the key phrases that that we try to reiterate at Restoration Church is this: um, um, God sees you for all you are, and He loves you anyway. Like He He knows the good and the bad, and um, and loves you regardless. That 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 understanding of unconditional love doesn't mean that God is somehow blind to you or in your mistakes, but that He sees them all, and He just His grace and His love just encompasses all of it. And it's great. It's good news, but. And we have a hard time expect, accepting that, and which I think still comes back to, we talked about this a little bit before, but it, it comes back to this idea of if I, the thinking that I can, if I can keep up my appearances with everybody else and then everybody thinks I'm okay, um, and then maybe I can figure this out on my own. And there's, a, there's pride in that, um, yeah. not just pride in people's perception, but pride in that, like, that I can do it on my own, which is the fundamental problem <laughs> in all of this. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah, and I mean... I think also on the reverse side of, you know, things like that not necessarily working out um, and, and why, you know, AA is able to work is, you know, people are coming together for a common um, sin problem, yeah. which is the, the addiction issue to um, a substance. So, you know, when you get a variety of people together in a church, um, you, know, you know, my problem is, you know, I'll hear somebody sin and I'll, I won't think it's that, like that bad. But really, you know, to that person, that sin is destroying their life or, yeah. or it, it is valid. Um, so I think that that plays into is people judging other people's sins, which yeah. is a crazy <laughs> thing yeah. to do. Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, it's just uh, that it, it, that's a sin issue at the root. It's a, a pride yeah. issue um, that I guess the, ch- the church faces and yeah. needs to find a way around. Yeah, I am. Um, so, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, as a pastor, it's it's possibly one of my biggest struggles to kind of to figure out or what does that look like in the context of a of a church setting. Um, I fully understand that in the in a large Sunday morning group, you can't you know, hundred people or a thousand people or whatever, you can't just give a mic to everybody every Sunday because there's no way to get through everybody. And I understand that that setting doesn't doesn't lend itself to all that needs to happen. And that's why we have other settings. 
But even in the context of a um, of a smaller group in a house, I'm like, how do we how do we go about breeding that level of authenticity, and and what does it look like in in a setting where like families are together, there's multiple age groups, there's multiple sin issues, there's and then like how do we go about just saying, hey, this is this is my struggle. Um, I wonder sometimes does that happen in a unique way in gender specific age specific groups. Can it happen in that whole big family time of, and when I say big family, like in a living room, house church setting? Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out yeah. some I mean, practicality I, of it all. You know, I, th- I think you, like, one has to ask themselves what exactly is trying to be accomplished in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, like, a, a Sunday thing when, when a lot of people are congregating, um, primarily it would be a time to, to worship God um, yeah. and, you know, lift up his glory. And so you're not really so much going to be focusing on um, your personal sense at that moment. Um, But yeah, individual community, um, like one-on-one community, you know, getting together with like two other guys. um, Yeah, and I think gender specific um, definitely helps to be able to talk about, you know, sin-related issues. Yeah. Well, it makes me, um, it makes me think about like just good old-fashioned discipleship. Um, and not like we think of discipleship. I think too many times when we talk about discipleship, people think in terms of religious education. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, my, well, my discipleship is a class that I go to. <laughs> no. Um, and uh, like what God wants, I think, in discipleship is this, is this very personal pouring into a person. And, and I mean, like what we think of a, a sponsorship. Yeah, um, exact same concept. Same, very similar, similar, if not the exact same. And then there's still something that happens in that setting of, of the group that, that there's something that has to happen there as well. But, um, I heard, uh, so we have a discipleship process that we're, we're trying to work through, um, trying to implement more and more as a church where we just kind of take through a new believer through the basics and, and in a matter of eight to 12 weeks being able to say, all right, now you, you have, you've been the initial stuff that you need to have invested in you is there. We're going to keep up this relationship, but hopefully you can start this with somebody else soon. Mm -hmm. And, um, but that ongoing thing that, that comes up is like, okay, so what do I do that next week? What do we talk about? And, um, and I heard our, um, our district superintendent for our, um, I'm with the Christian Missionary Alliance. The district superintendent made this comment about how in discipleship, there was like four questions that he suggested asking, and I'm probably going to not get them exactly right. But it was like, um, was asking a person, uh, what, it, what is God showing you? Um, maybe it was how is God empowering you? Where do you need his help? And and I think there might have been something about, I think that was supposed to kind of encompass sin at the same time. Like, where do you need his help could mean, you know, I'm sick, <laughs> or it could be that, like, I keep sinning, <laughs> I'm yeah. struggling. But um, there was something about that, like those asking some questions that were somewhat open-ended, but but designed to kind of probe into, like, this is where I'm at in my life right now. Um, I don't know. So we're th- thinking through kind of specifically what we're going to do. Yeah. What we're gonna do, but Definitely. something along I, that line. I mean, I, th- I think the the kind of passive passive forward concept of discipleship and you know a sponsorship sponsorship as well is such a crucial element. Like I, I've heard, um, kind of the negative comments from people about AA um, in general, and and it comes from this this idea that like oh so there's twelve steps and after these twelve steps you're a heal person and that's the end of that but it's it's not it's it comes from you know taking on somebody else who's struggling with you know 
um, addiction or alcohol and taking them through the 12 steps and, you know, repeating that process over and, you know, getting out of yourself. And, you know, I think looking at AA or, you know, whatever, even discipleship as, you know, how much you can get from it, that's sin right there. That's (laughs) that's your selfishness coming in saying, you know, how am I going to become a better person because of this instead of once your heart's changed, wanting to help other people and changing them and seeing what that looks like. So um, you're, you're touching on something that's so huge in in what it, what we would probably call the contemporary Western church, and that gets thrown around a little bit, but um, it's this whole issue of consumerism in church, and you know this big debate is like what 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 are we actually supposed to do with church, and um, and there's all these discussions about how well there's a reason why people come to the church with the coolest music in the newest building and nothing wrong with that. I'm still like, I love great music and I love yeah. a good facility. Like I'm, I'm pro all those things, but there's this underlying thing of like, we, we keep moving people around in churches because they want something that we're offering. And if we can't engage them to be agents of, you know, agents for the gospel of restoration, then, man, we're, we're missing something. And uh, so we're trying to, like, I think there's this huge need to kind of turn it on its head and give this idea that, like, hey, um, following Jesus is not something that means you just merely come here and hear from an expert. Um, it's something that you should be equipped to do uh, and lead somebody else on. And that, I don't know how else to use the language of, a, there's a viral nature that needs to be in it where, it's, where it just spreads and, um, yeah, I think... Yeah, and I mean, essentially, um, you want that to consume your life. And so yeah. if, you know, church is something you're just going to uh, on Sunday morning to, to get a message to try to make you feel better, you're missing the point, I think. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I've been to many churches throughout my life where that's the idea. That's the idea not just I had, but it seems like other people had, too, as far as, you know... There being a really great dynamic pastor, but there's no community in that church. Yeah, and you can you can feel that, and yeah. it's definitely there's that's a huge, probably more more so a bigger aspect of your Christian walk. Yeah, missing. Well, it's interesting because I believe in good preaching and, and great things happen, but um, it's interesting how that becomes like the thing that people are like, well, I'm not being fed, so I need to go somewhere else. I'm like, well, you know you could feed yourself Um, like it's supposed to be to equip you to go and do something. And um, yeah, it's, I I think it's a big issue in church and it's interesting to me to think through um, my mind's been kind of being blown as I'm, I'm reading the new Testament with fresh eyes and I'm looking at it from a church planting perspective and I'm reading like in some of these, uh, some of these uh, like the book of acts and things like that um, where uh the uh, man, the Apostle Paul goes into a city, and there are times where he's there for like three weeks, and then something happens, and then we're, like it looks like it wasn't very much longer, and then he's gone, like he's planted a church in a matter of weeks. Yeah, it wasn't Which is like crazy. yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> now there's the Holy Spirit's working in there, yeah, right? Which he still does. <laughs> um, and it's interesting to me though because the people in that in that community at that at that city. Um, couldn't just keep showing up and hearing a really great preacher. Like, there wasn't one. Like, they're all new believers. 
And they had this very simple message that Jesus has died to pay the penalty for their sins, risen from the dead to give them new life, and now they're supposed to follow him. And like the Holy Spirit is guiding them in all truth, as Scripture says that he would. And so they're doing their thing. And it's not that the churches there never had problems, but like they keep functioning and they keep growing. And then a year or two later, Paul comes back through and says, how are things going? <laughs> Writes some letters to him. But it's a powerful and interesting thing to me because in that model, um, in that ministry mission model, there wasn't a great teacher for them to keep coming and hearing. Uh, that teacher would have come through every now and then, but even the Apostle Paul said, I wasn't that great of a speaker. Yeah. Um, it's just powerful. It's yeah. wild to me. That's how it's powerful, messing me up. Yeah, the, how powerful yeah. the gospel is and the, the power of that. Yeah. But, um, but I'll tell you, it's a wild thing because I'd always, I'm just, just confessing it right now, that I'd always thought that like, well, I'm a good guy. I've got a lot of ministry training. I'm a good speaker. So they, we just need to make a church big enough for enough people to come and hear me because that's what needs to happen. And I, I mean, I'm just confessing it. That was, that was the way I thought about ministry. And what God has just laid on my heart more and more in this process of church planting is that I'm not that important. Yeah. Like, I'm supposed to make disciples, and then that's it. Like, I might not, who knows how long I'll even be here or <laughs> what God will do. But, man, the, the whole point is equipping somebody to do it with somebody else, and we're just links in a chain, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I find myself recently, you know, over the past few months or whatever, actually the past couple of years, you know, just praying to God, you know, asking him to like, to show me what I'm supposed to do and to like, to use me to, to spread his word and, and stuff like that. And, you know, you know, not realizing that those kind of prayers show my lack of trust, mm -hmm. that I'm not disabled to trust God in the present moment and know that he has a plan for me and it's taking place right now. Yeah. It's wild, man. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember I, I, who it was, but I've heard somebody say something that, like we think too much about like God's will as something that's like way out there, as if I'm gonna like keep on walking on this path and then I'm gonna get to God's will, mm -hmm. and um, that that the idea of God's will is something that you you're you're kind of already doing it, like I'm you're in a process of like what does God want for me right now, dude? It's a powerful thing when you when you realize that. And that, like, God has a reason for me in this moment right now. There's something I'm doing to bring him glory. Yeah. It's huge, and it's, man. And it comes from that surrender and that surrender yeah. from trust. But, um, I mean, it's a, it's a daily thing. You know, it's, it's, it's wrestling with God. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I kind of want to, I want this. My ego wants this. But, um, and it's not yet willing to give up some, some aspect of my life to, yeah. to you know, because I want my future to be a certain way. And, um yeah, it's really just, you know, trusting God in the present moment and yeah, man. understanding that he has it under control. Well, it's, it's interesting because um, I've got a little story on it, if it's okay for me to tell a quick story. And, yeah. Um, and then I, wanna, I had a couple of questions for you about, about ministry in this context. But, um, so when I was first finishing up with my master's degree, and, uh, and I was all like, um, there was probably some pride going on. Like you realize after the fact when you've been prideful, like in the middle of it, you can't see it, right? But um, I'd taken on this, um, I was working on this master's degree in philosophical theology, and I'm writing this thesis that I'm all proud of, and I, I won't tell the details of it on here, but I, I, to tell people about it made me sound really smart, and I remember I used to just love to talk about that, and I was watching other people get degrees faster because they were taking an easier track, and I remember just kind of like, <laughs> you know, thinking I was, I was better than that. 
Um, but I get done with all but my, my thesis, and I'm working on my thesis, and so we move up here, and I, I take this job in ministry that required you to earn your own funding, and it, the funding just wasn't coming together. And they were great. They were wonderful. They were going to find a way to keep me on, but I felt God was calling me to something else. And so I step out kind of in faith, thinking that, like, God's going to do something miraculous and wonderful because I'm stepping out in faith. And, um, and he was certainly working providentially, but that involved me laboring. And so here I am, I'm looking around, I'm like, man, I, I, I'm almost done with this great degree. I should be, like, in all these ministry opportunities. And, and what God had me doing was, like, working in a furniture company, moving furniture. Mm-hmm. And I remember one day, um, I, um, I'm taking this box of styrofoam peanuts out to the dumpster. And I'm kind of in this place where I'm like, this is just, what am I doing here? Like, this is... I've been in school how many years? I just want to be ministering. And I'm, I'm dumping styrofoam peanuts. Like, this is a waste of all of my study and time and everything like that. And that's, which is all prideful, right? It's all yeah. like me thinking that I'm something. And uh, God was kind of bringing to mind some, some stuff from a book uh, called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, uh, which is about a monk who gets called into a, this monastery thinking he's going to be in all this ministry, and his job for the rest of his life becomes washing dishes for, for the other monks. <laughs> and his practice of just understanding that like he could bring glory to God even in that. So God's bringing some of that to mind, and I'm dumping out these styrofoam pe- peanuts, and the wind blows, and like hundreds of styrofoam peanuts just blow out. And I'm like... Oh my gosh. So I'm just like, I don't want to be doing this. This is not the, like, this is getting ridiculous. And now I've got all these styrofoam peanuts and, and it was like, God impressed on my heart that like every one of those you pick up can be to my glory. And, uh, I know that there's no like great, like ending to the story of like how, you know, somebody saw it and got saved or anything like that. But I got to bring God glory in that moment. And I'm picking up, and every one of them, I'm thinking about, like, this is what God wants me to do right now. And I'm in his will because I'm obeying. And um, I had joy in that process as a result. Yeah. And it's still one of those things that, like, as I'm going through all these different times in ministry that and different seasons, I, I get brought back to that. And God's like, hey, like, you could be picking up styrofoam peanuts, and it would be to my glory. Um, and that's... Um, there's been several different times where God brought me through different seasons where there were different things I was supposed to do, and man, He did something powerful every time. Yeah. And um, so I don't know. So that that's just on my mind as we're talking about yeah, all this I think the will of God. When you're in that like you know season of resentment and and asking you know why am I doing this when I could be doing so much more, um, yeah, you're really just not realizing that you know maybe God's testing you and He's doing the like. He's doing this for a reason to to, yeah. sh- to to show you something and to to teach you something. Yeah. And once you change your mindset and turn it over to God, yeah, it all changes. Well, and and it's interesting because about the time that like my mindset changes and then I have joy in whatever that thing is, God's like, all right, I'm going to take it to something else. Yeah. <laughs> because I got to a point where I think I had joy working at that furniture company and just saying like, hey, I'm 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 okay. I'm having a good time here. Like this is where God has me. It might not be forever, but and about that time was God's like, all right, I'm going to move you something else and. And then I had to become okay with what that was. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think personally, I mean, for me, just the worry of the future and 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 whatever that's a huge sin. Like hmm. to to not be trusting that God has it under control and devoting so much mental energy into into what's going to happen next um, can really hinder your life and, yeah, and and derail it. Yeah, it's interesting. So I um I wanted to ask you some questions if it's all right yeah um, definitely uh, 
because I am. Um, so one of the things I'm continually struggling struggling with as as a pastor and as somebody who's trying to equip other people to minister, like actually even just throughout as a pastor, but just like as a guy who's trying to make disciples, um, I'm so many times in re- in relationships with people that have it's either an addictive struggle, either substance or it's um, it's pornography or some sexual addiction or whatever. Um, or it's gossip. Like, I know it's easy to think of that as something less, but man, I actually think it causes more damage. Yeah. And it can be any number of things. And, um, and I feel like so many times I'm trying to weigh in and I'm failing at ministering to them. Like, it's like, I don't know a good process to take them from depths of addiction to working through this, to, you know, trusting God and all that kind of stuff. And so if you could kind of, if you're okay, feel free to say, no, I'm not ready to talk about that yet, but could you kind of explain, like, if you were going to tell somebody and retroactively say, here's how you could have ministered to me the best way when I was in the depths of my struggle, what are some principles that you would put in and say, man, if, if you could do this, like the next time you come across a friend or a family member that's struggling with some kind of a, a sin, addictive or not, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. I know exactly. Man, um, I think it all worked out perfectly as far as um everything i've heard throughout my life all coming together um and it's just a matter of god changing my heart and that realization happening um i can you know distinctly remember being in uh rehab and you know hearing the lord's prayer and then hearing that part about um you know may you find god now and it just clicked for me that the fear of god and you know that the that not only my struggle with addiction is a life and death situation, but like my spirituality is a lot, like how life and death that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, just presenting people with the gospel, um, even if they don't want to hear it, telling mm-hmm. it to them. Um, because I found, you know, a lot of people that have crazy resentments towards, you know, Christianity or, you know, hearing the word Jesus even are the ones that are most susceptible in the long term to it because um, I, I had a friend in high school um well i had another buddy who i used to party with a lot but we were both like raised christians so um every now and then we would go to church or whatever um just for the social aspect i think um and then i had another buddy who was on the cross country team with me and uh we decided one day to trick him into going to youth group with us <laughs> and uh we told him we were going somewhere else and we picked him up we drove him to the church and then he had like a a straight meltdown in the church like parking lot and he's like i'm not effing going in there all this stuff and he was like hitting like the dashboard and stuff and we're like all right dude like calm down (laughs) and then wild and then later uh i find out like even kind of before i my faith got renewed um i found out he became a christian that's wild man yeah that's holy cow the uh it's interesting because as i'm hearing you talk it's you're saying that like man it's the gospel, but it doesn't mean that like when you speak it or when you minister to that person, when you show them love, that they're just going to come through. Or like with you guys, it wasn't even necessarily out of love you were yeah. messing with the guy, but that, but that it was when God moved in your heart. Like it sounds like that, that the action was less about what people were doing, although they were doing something. It was a lot more about God just moving, and that was your turn. Yeah. Um, it's powerful, man. It's it really cool. is. Yeah. It, it takes the load off of, off of the person trying to help because then it's like it's not about me like my job is to to love like christ and you know always be there and 
speak the gospel and that God's going to have to do the other part of it. Yeah. And, and then take I, some pressure off. Yeah. And it, it should, yeah, essentially yeah. it should take, yeah. you know, all the pressure off that it's in, in God's timing and it's in God's hands and everything's essentially going to work out. Um, but yeah, then you, you get the, the people that, you know, want things to happen when they want them to happen. And that's when you get cases like, um, you know, mothers or, you know, fathers being overbearing on a, a child mm-hmm. who's, you know, smoking weed or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. And, and that can just escalate a case, yeah. um, because, yeah. you know, rebellion or whatever, you know, the sin nature. Yeah. So well, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I wonder, I wonder what it's like for us as, um, as friends and family and, and even in, in our own selves, like I'm thinking about like how I react when somebody wants to try to speak into my life. And when it's, when it feels smothering or it feels pressure or it like my reaction is to want to do that thing more just to make them angry yeah. or, or just to kind of rebel. And, uh, and how interesting that like God's method is not to force us into something, but to, to change our hearts. And, um, I wonder sometimes how much of our even ministry, uh, ministry method should reflect that, like that it, that it should be, Hey, I don't like that you're doing this. I love you. You can't do, I'm not going to let you keep doing this and do this, you know, like there are boundaries, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the goal is to be able to somehow shine light on the, the way God loves you, um, and to treat somebody with just as much love when they're, you know, deep into their sin as when they're, when they realize their sin nature too, is yeah. to, to show them that, that kind of love. And I, I you know that doesn't necessarily come out and always preaching the gospel to them. That comes out in doing small acts of kindness and, yeah. you know, you know, buying somebody like a coffee or, you know, working at a soup kitchen or, you know, doing something along that, those lines. It's cool. It's interesting because um, I think the, uh, where I struggle is wanting to make it happen now and wanting to be able to operate in this perfect, you know, formula and then thinking, okay, if I just do these things and that person will come around, um, Man, I've got people on my heart right now that I'm thinking of that I'm like, man, my heart is just, I'm broken for them. And so I think of all the time I've invested in every time that, like, there's not some miraculous change. I think, well, what could I say different? What could I do different? Do I need to? And, um, and I know that it's not true. It's not about me. But it's, man, it comes back to this issue of pride. Like, I think I keep acting like it's about me. And, um, yeah, it's, it's something that God's really working on me and, and I'm having to just surrender and say, all right, so I'm put it out there. The seed is sown. Do your thing, God. And, um, yeah, but yeah. my pride and my impatience, man, they're yeah. bad. And I, I mean, I think that element of humanity is always going to be there as far as, yeah. you know, what am I doing? And, and that, that ego is always going to stand in the way as long as uh, while we're here on earth. Yeah. Um, it's wildness, man. So, um, wow, we jumped right into the heavy stuff. I didn't didn't turn that corner so fast, but it was like kind of moving in that direction. And and I think it's probably just what was on my heart. Um, so it's cool, man. We're, uh, God's doing some cool things. Um, I, uh, I thought it might be cool to kind of talk about, um, one of the things we're doing as a church is trying to, trying to get this idea, um, that's maybe the wrong word, but trying to get a, a comprehensive understanding of God's restoration, that like the gospel is not merely get out of hell free. It is that, but, um, but that, that Jesus wants to restore everything. And in Revelation 21, five, he says, see, I'm, I'm making all things new. Like I'm, yeah. I'm putting the world back together as it's supposed to be. And that's, uh, that's something that, that to me means, um, 
even in, in, in the life of a, of a person with addiction, I know we've been talking about addiction a lot, but not limited to that, in the life of, of, a, of a couple who's on the brink of divorce or who has divorced, or that like what Jesus wants to do is make things new. And um, one of the things I want to do is, is try to continually communicate this idea that Jesus is making all things new and the, the power of the gospel, me surrendering to him and letting him do his thing, means that he can put things right again. It doesn't mean that my life's just going to get all new and shiny with mm. Jesus, but it means that there's a process of healing and restoration. And, and when we get that, and then we, that we get that it's not just something that some pastor works out, that like, as I'm changed, I become a, an, an agent for, for change, um, and that I'm spreading the gospel and living out the gospel, and that there's this overflow in it, man, um, everything that we've talked about today just kind of ties right back into that idea that like, He's just going to make everything new, and he's the one that's going to do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's cool. I keep thinking that it would be great if I had, like, some really great funny turn that we could be like, all right, so we didn't get to start <laughs> off that happy. We'll end happy. But I haven't been able to think of a really great joke to bring it all around, so um, it's cool. So any other thoughts on what we've been talking about, man, or anything else? Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a funny turn, too, trying to, try to make this lighthearted. I know. Very, yeah. It's like, man, I want to be able to tell some good jokes, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. So, <laughs> so once your brain is in that, I'm thinking of like, uh, okay, that's not Instead a good of, Yeah, I'm just thinking of all the things to avoid talking about. Let's, let's, not, let's not talk about Ferguson. Let's not talk about... <laughs> that's right, yeah. Let's not talk about any of the heavy stuff. That, yeah. Um, Oh man, I can tell I can tell something kind of fun. It's not necessarily funny, but it's just cool. Last night, um, my daughter had her first like preschool Christmas program thing. Mm-hmm. Like, so it was the first time our family has like gone to one of those things where you're there to see your little kid. And um, Did and you it have was the, just, the camcorder. Oh man, well you know now, that it's, iPad now, iPad now it's the iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, the, of course, there was a lady in front of me with an iPad holding it like up at eye level, and I'm like, "What? What are you doing? <laughs> like this is ridiculous." They're like, "Just watch your kid." Yeah. Um, but I got some cool pictures, and she's all waving, and it was it was super fun. And they're singing some song about holding on to your hat because Christmas is coming, and <laughs> it was super fun, man. It was cool, really cool. Yeah. But that's not that funny. It's just happier. <laughs> yeah, that's an upbeat. It's an upbeat. Yeah, upbeat story. Yeah. How about puppies? We'll talk about yeah, puppies. puppies. Puppies, <laughs> sunshine, rainbows. Oh man, it's good stuff, man. Well, it was cool hanging out. Um, enjoyed it, and uh, we uh, we'll we'll come back next week for the same kind of thing. Um, we'll have some more happy stories next week. We'll plan. All right, we'll be it, a right? little more upbeat we'll, we'll next like, week. We'll plan. We'll, we'll plan for some um, funny stuff. We'll kind of go back and forth on it. Um, next week we also might take some time and, and discuss some more things about what God is doing in the church, what, what, what we're hoping to do and, and see what kind of comes up in that. But Kevin, thanks for being Sounds with good. us. Um, right. thank you guys for being with us and, uh, we'll see you soon on the restoration podcast.